You may be a father if your chocolate bar has already been spoken for by your kids. Has anyone else experienced that this morning? <laughs> My kids are trying very hard, so we'll, we'll see how it goes after the service. Let's take a moment and uh, bow again as we ask God's blessing on his word. Father, thank you for your word. I pray by your Holy Spirit that you will speak through your word to each one of us, Lord. Bless especially the fathers present today. Pray that you would speak through me. May the words be yours, I pray in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen. Begin with the story of a sergeant who served his tour of duty and then was reassigned stateside to an induction center. There at that induction center, it was his job to advise the new recruits about government benefits, especially the GI insurance. Now, they had a hard time getting the soldiers to pay for the extra GI insurance, and yet, very soon, he had a nearly 100% insurance sales record. His officers were amazed, and they wanted to know what he was doing that was so special, getting the sales so high. And so to find out how he did it, an officer stood in the back of the room one day and listened to his sales pitch to the new recruits. The sergeant explained the basics of GI insurance to the new recruits and then said, If you have GI insurance and go into battle and are killed, the government has to pay $35,000 to your beneficiaries. However, if you don't have GI insurance and go into battle and are killed, the government only has to pay $3,000 to your beneficiaries. Then, allowing for a dramatic pause, he concluded his pitch. Now, which soldiers do you suppose they're going to send into battle first? Hundred percent. That'll take care of it, right? Now, those recruits, after hearing this information, had a decision to make. And obviously, the one decision was far more appealing than the other. It seems like a no-brainer. Likewise, in today's scripture passage, the nation of Israel is faced with a decision, a choice to make, with, again, one of the decisions being far more appealing than the other decision. The choice that Joshua set before the people that day was simple, yet it had profound implications, far-reaching implications. Whose God are you going to serve? I want you to turn with me to Joshua 24 this morning. And with this being Father's Day, we're going to do a temporary flash-forward in the story of Joshua from where we left off with him last week, camped outside the walls of Jericho. Now we're, we're zooming ahead to the very end of Joshua's life. And here Joshua is now a very old man, 110 years of age to be exact. To say that Joshua lived a full and exciting life would be a gross understatement. He had been strong and courageous, just as God had commanded him. And he had the scars from a hundred battles to prove it. He had known the power and presence of God in his life in his leadership, and now at the ripe old age of 110, he sees and recognizes that the end of his life is near. And now only one final task remains. As the leader and as the father of the nation of Israel, he needs to give the children one final word from the Lord and a direct challenge to continue serving him alone. And so today, I believe that for all the grandfathers and fathers and fathers-to-be present here today, 
there are some very important lessons that we can take from Joshua's example as we look at this text. The first thing that we can see from Joshua's example is that Joshua was intentional about giving spiritual direction to his children. Joshua was intentional. He didn't leave it to chance. Joshua 24 and verse 1. It tells us this. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Sheshem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Now, I want you to take note of something in this verse that's very obvious. This gathering didn't just happen by accident or coincidence. Joshua had to be very intentional about gathering his children with the deliberate aim of giving them spiritual guidance. Even the location of this family gathering at Sheshem was very carefully chosen. It wasn't a random location. And so the question is asked, what's so important about this location of Sheshem? Well, we have to turn to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 6 and 7 for the answer to that. There we read this. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Sheshem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And so here in Genesis 12, we see that the very first place that God appeared to Abraham and promised to give his offspring the land, at that very same location, centuries later, is the same place Joshua gathers all the people as a living testimony that God had kept his word. They could look back and say, all those centuries ago, God promised one man to give his descendants all of this land, and now look at us, millions gathered at the same location to say, God kept his word, he is faithful, and he kept his promise to us. And so Joshua was very deliberate about gathering the people at this symbolic location. So how does this apply to us fathers today? Well, quite simply, it means that we as fathers have to be equally intentional about giving spiritual direction to our children as well. I was once discussing this with a father who said that he was worried about forcing his own faith on his children. And, and he didn't want to pressure them into becoming Christians. And so with that worry in his mind, rather than uh, talking with them about the faith, teaching them things about the faith, his approach was that he actually just shied away from giving them any spiritual instruction at all. And so he said the only time he would talk with them about spiritual matters was if they asked him direct questions about him. But what I was able to share with him in the course of our conversation is this, and it's something that I believe very, very strongly. There is no neutral when it comes to our children's learning. There's no neutral position. Either our kids are learning from you, or they are learning from someone else. There's no neutral, there's no middle ground here. Kids are designed to be learning constantly. And if we as parents and as fathers are not going to step into that to teach them what we want them to be learning, we shouldn't be surprised when suddenly they're learning things elsewhere from other sources that we may not agree with. And so there's no neutral when it comes to children's learning. 
So it's a simple question. Who would you rather have your kids learning from? You or some other source? Even to be passive or disengaged for fear of being too pushy is also teaching your children something, I believe. It's telling them that learning about spiritual matters, learning about the Lord, it's not something that you talk with your dad about. So then that also begs the question, if I don't talk with dad about this, how important is it really? You see, Joshua clearly understood that he was not living on neutral terrain. He knew that his children and the children coming after him, after he died, he knew that they weren't going to be immune from the negative spiritual influences of the Canaanites around them. In fact, I'm sure he saw the signs of it already. He knew there was no neutral position, and he wasn't going to leave it to chance. Instead, he carefully and intentionally engaged in spiritually directing his children. Now, this, of course, also requires time and effort. It took, I'm sure, a lot of logistical details for Joshua to assemble all of the people to one location. It would have taken a lot of work and a lot of effort, and then everyone has to put in the time to gather there in that place. Likewise, as dads and fathers and grandpas today, whether you're organizing a family gathering or just a, a family sit-down time, family devotion time, family prayer time, or just one-on-one time with your child, all of that requires your personal time, effort, and yes, your energy. Now, especially if you still have young children at home, you know what I'm talking about. Energy is something that little children in particular are just, they just are like, I don't want to say parasites, but you know, that idea. They suck the energy right out of you. They will take whatever energy you are willing to give them. My kids are sponges for dad's time. And as much as I am willing or able to give them, they will always gladly take more. And so for every father, this creates a tension. It creates a tug-of-war for your time, for your energy. It creates a tug-of-war often between work and your family, a tug-of-war between hobbies or friends and time with your family and children. There are other obligations in life as well, whether, whether serving in church and other things. And so all of these things, there's, there's an ongoing tension. And so I'll be the very last one to stand up here this morning and tell you that there's an easy solution to this. Because if there was an easy solution to this, I would have found it already, and it just doesn't exist. I'm, I'm convinced it just doesn't exist. But that being said, the fact is, work is important for a man. Work is important for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is that it's the means by which he can provide physically for his children. But we also must remember something very important. Is work more important than your children? Work is important, but is it more important than your children? Now, most every dad would respond to that question with an emphatic, no way, not a chance. My kids are the the most important thing to me. My kids are way more important to me than my work. Okay, we can say that, I can say that, but the gut check question for me and for every dad present is, does how I prioritize my time my energy, and my focus actually reflect that. There's a true story that Clovis Chapel, a 19th century minister, used to tell of two paddle boats on the Mississippi River. These two paddle boats left Memphis 
about the same time traveling down the mighty Mississippi towards New Orleans. As they traveled side by side, sailors from one vessel began making remarks about the snail's pace of the other, how they were going to wax them, and so on and so forth. The, the banter turned to the point of where challenges were issued. The gauntlet was thrown down, the captains got involved, and then the race was on. Who would make it to New Orleans first? And so finally, they threw all the coal on, the smoke was, the steam was billowing, And finally, one boat began falling behind. Not enough fuel. There had been plenty enough coal for the trip, but not enough coal for an all-out race. But as the boat began to drop back, one of the enterprising young sailors took some of the ship's cargo and tossed it into the ovens. That flared up the fire, and when the sailors saw that the supplies burned just as well and as hot as the coal, they continued to fuel their boat with their cargo. And soon they began to pull ahead and ended up winning the race. But at what cost? For you see, in the process of winning the race, they had burned all their cargo. And as a result, when they arrived in harbor, they had nothing left to sell. And so no one was paid, and the victorious captain, well, he was fired. Fathers, you see, we have been appointed by God as spiritual captains of our homes. And he has entrusted the precious cargo of his children into our care. And our primary job, our primary God-given responsibility is to do our part in seeing that this cargo reaches its spiritual destination safely. But when we let the competitive drive for our jobs our careers or our hobbies or other friends, when we allow those things to become more important than our children, come before our children, while it may seem fine in the short term, look, I'm winning, I'm winning the race. The question has to be asked, what about the long term? What if the cost is our own children? And as a dad, this is a sobering thought, one that I ponder often and it helps me keep my priorities in check and in right order. Because I find in the busy grind of life, these are week by week and day by day and sometimes hour by hour decisions that we must make. And we're not always going to get it just right. But by the grace of God, when we seek to prioritize the spiritual guidance of our kids through our time and our energy and our effort, God works in our children's hearts. God works in our children's minds and By the power of his spirit, he powerfully draws them toward himself. And so we see in Joshua a willingness to be intentional about directing his children spiritually. He put himself on the line for their ultimate good, knowing that this was the most important role that he was given as father to the nation. So fathers, we must follow his example and likewise be intentional about giving spiritual direction to our children. Secondly, we see in our text this morning that Joshua calls his children to consider their options. Now, Joshua knew how fickle the people's hearts could be. He had seen it his entire life through the wanderings in the wilderness, how quickly they would turn on Moses, Joshua being his right-hand man. He had seen how many times the people wanted to stone them and go back to Egypt, how when he had been a spy and come back with a good report, they said, no, don't listen to Joshua and Caleb, we're listening to the other ten. And so Joshua, when he gathered them, rather than just leading the people in a simple covenant renewal service, 
he wisely challenges them first to consider their options. And he says to them, Whose God are you going to serve? The God of your father Abraham or the gods of your grandfather Terah? Now at this point, you might be wondering, who's Terah? Well, Joshua 24 verse 2 tells us. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. So we see in this verse, Terah was Abraham's dad. Now, Abraham, of course, is known as the father of faith. They counted him as their spiritual father, and everyone counted their lineage from him. But notice, everyone stopped at Abraham. They didn't go one generation further to Terah. Why was that? Because Terah was a dad who worshipped pagan gods, and he led his family, including Abraham, to do the same. We often think about Abraham as the father of faith and don't consider he grew up a pagan. In fact, most of his life he would have worshipped pagan gods that would have been typical in the time and place in which he lived. But as much as Abraham was taught by his father to worship these, these pagan gods and he grew up following them, it was not those false gods who intervened in Abram's life. It was not they who turned his descendants into a great nation. No, Joshua says that was the Lord. Joshua knew it, and he wanted Israel to know this as well. But he also wanted them to recognize something that I think all of us need to recognize as well. He wanted them to recognize that worshiping false gods was still in their blood. Worshiping false gods was still in their DNA. Idolatry was always percolating there just below the surface. And so what Joshua is doing is he wants them to confront this ugly truth that their heritage, as much as it's godly because of Abraham, it's also ungodly because of Terah. Pagan idolatry is always lurking there within their hearts, looking to come to the surface. And so he wanted to confront them with this fact and and confront them with a simple choice. If you are not deliberate about rejecting these pagan gods once and for all, you will slide right back into it. And so Joshua tells the people to consider their spiritual heritage. Whose God was able to make you into a mighty nation? Whose God brought you through the Red Sea and the wilderness? Whose God did all of that? Grandpa Terah's or Father Abraham's? For the answer to that question should determine for them which God is the true God and which God was worthy of their worship and their lives. And so as a father, we too need to help our children understand the choices before them as well. We need them to understand the nature of sin. That yes, many of us have a godly legacy. We've grown up, as I've been blessed to have with with multiple generations of those who have followed the Lord. But still, even within me, there lurks idolatry. There lurks the sin that wants to turn my heart away from God and towards the idols and false gods of this world. And all of our kids grow up with that in their DNA as well. 
And so we need to help them understand that, that all of us, every last one of us, has to personally recognize the nature of sin's pull on all of us, and that we all need Jesus. Only he has the power to break the, the, the sin and its pull in our lives, its curse in our lives. And that being good alone is not enough to save them. Only Jesus can do that. And so we have to help our children understand the nature of this choice. That yes, we grow up in church and we have godly legacy before us, but we also have sin. And it's always lurking and there's always that pull towards those false gods around us. It may not be little idols we bow down to anymore, but believe me, there are idols still all around us. Put a name to them, sex, lust, greed, power, money, fame, sports stars, you name it. There's all sorts of things that we can look to as a false idol. And we need to watch and guard ourselves against falling into that trap. And so Joshua confronts them with their options. Then Joshua calls the people to make a choice. Chapter 24, verses 14 to 15. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now the call is the same for us today. Here's the options before you. Consider their outcome. Now which way are you going to go? Whose God are you going to serve? Whose God is your house going to serve? You see, it was easy for the Israelites to worship the other gods. Because the other gods didn't demand exclusive worship or service. And it was very easy to carry a little stone carving around in your pocket, put it up on the mantle. It was very easy for them to throw a little grain in front of an idol or bow down to the sun. But Yahweh... The Lord of heaven, he demanded all. He demanded exclusive worship and service. He demanded that it was only him or none of him. It was not him plus. It was not him and. It was him and him alone or take your pick of anything else. God demanded of Israel exclusive service and obedience. And like Israel, it is relatively easy for us to carry our own little idols around in our pockets. Our idols of ambition, lust, envy, pleasure. And it's very easy for us to live for these things on the side. And to then throw a bit of money at a charitable cause, raise our hands and shout praise to a sports hero, and show up to church occasionally to pay lip service to Christian faith. Maybe Joshua is, at this point, getting a little less patient in his old age, but he just lays it out bluntly. This is kind of in the old man, get off my lawn vein when Joshua lays this out. But when he lays it out, he he does it as bluntly as he possibly can. And he says, either serve the Lord with all faithfulness, or if you don't like that, then go choose some other God to serve. Doesn't really matter which one because they're all the same. They're all false anyways. And I want you to notice the standard of service that Joshua demanded. He says, with all faithfulness. All faithfulness. 
he doesn't leave room for casual faith. He doesn't leave room for having a false idol on the side, tucked in the closet somewhere. He doesn't leave room for serving God when it is convenient, or when things are going well, or when life is easy. He doesn't leave room for doing faith on our own terms. He called the people to serve God with all faithfulness. But what if there's no reward? What if there's no appreciation? What if there's nothing but opposition? To that, Joshua says, serve the Lord with all faithfulness. It's like the classic fable of the pig and the chicken. You may have heard this one. It goes like this. A pig and a chicken are walking down the road. And the chicken says, hey pig, I was thinking we should open a restaurant. And the pig replies, hmm, that sounds like a good idea. What should we call it? The chicken responds, how about bacon and eggs? Pig thinks for a moment and says, no thanks. You'd only be involved, but I'd be fully invested. (laughs) Joshua wanted to make it crystal clear to his children that God demands not just our involvement, but our full investment. And so Joshua challenges them. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river, and that's a reference back to great-grandpa Terah's gods, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living, that was the gods around them, the gods of culture and convenience. And then after throwing down the gauntlet, he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so after all of this, what Joshua is finally doing is, number four, he called the nation, even more than that, he challenged the nation to follow his example. What Joshua is declaring here is that you decide for yourselves, everyone has a choice to make, but my mind is made up. Me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now remember, when Joshua says this, this isn't news to the nation. Joshua's 110 years old, remember. And so what he's really saying is, look at the outcome of my life. You know how I have walked before the Lord and walked before you as I have led this nation. You know how I have served the Lord faithfully for longer than any of them had been alive. Remember, he and Caleb are the only two guys, the two old guys in the whole nation. Everyone else had passed away. And so what Joshua is effectively doing right now is he's holding up his life as an example for all of his children and nation to consider and follow. He wasn't claiming to be perfect here, but what he's showing them is a life that was pursuing the Lord completely, faithfully, right to the very end. And as the father figure of a nation, Joshua knows that what would speak most loudly to his kids was not his words, but the example of a life that had been completely committed to faithfully serving the Lord. He knew that his words on that day only carried as much weight as the life lived behind them. And so dads, my fellow fathers today, the blunt truth is this. Our children will not hear much of the good things that we have to say. It's kind of sad how little of the good things we try to instruct them that they seem to latch on to and remember. But one thing they will remember perfectly is the example we set. 
whether it's good or bad. There's a true story of a pastor whose young son had become very ill. And after the boy had undergone an exhaustive series of tests, the father was told the shocking news that his son's illness was terminal. The youngster had accepted Jesus as his savior. And so the pastor was comforted knowing that death would usher him into glory. But he also agonized over how to tell his beloved son in the bloom of youth that he would soon die. After earnestly seeking the direction of the Lord and the Holy Spirit, he went with a heavy heart through the hospital ward to his, bed, to his boy's bedside. First, he read a passage of scripture and had a time of prayer with his son. Then he gently told him that the doctors could promise him only a few more days to live. The boy sat there for a moment, registering the news. Finally, his dad broke the silence and asked him, Are you afraid to meet Jesus, my boy? Blinking away a few tears, the little boy said bravely, No, Daddy, not if he's like you. Not if he's like you. There's a poem written by an anonymous father that goes like this. His little arms crept around my neck, and then I heard him say, Four simple words I can't forget, four words that made me pray. They turned a mirror on my soul on secrets no one knew. They startled me, I hear them yet. He said, I'll be like you. To my fellow dads out there, with kids young or old, God has placed us in a unique position. He has placed us in a unique position to set the spiritual direction, not only for ourselves, but our families. Because as the God-ordained spiritual leader, as the head of a home, you set the tone and the direction. You see, Joshua did not ask for his kids' permission, or even his wife's permission, when he simply declared, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is an awesome and humbling responsibility. But dads, don't run from it. Don't hide from it. Don't abdicate that role to anyone else. Joshua certainly didn't. Instead, like Joshua, embrace the challenge and embrace the responsibility of being the spiritual leader of your family. God gave them to you for a reason. He didn't give them a different dad for a reason. He gave them you. You are their dad. He placed you there. And he's given you the tremendous privilege of being the spiritual leader to your family. And so let's look at Joshua's example. Remember, his life was not an easy one. He faced countless, countless challenges. But he faced them all with faith and confidence in God. For the same God that had promised him so many years before, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And there at 110 years of age, Joshua could stand and say, the Lord kept his word. He has been with me every step of the way, wherever I've gone, for 110 years. God kept his promise to Joshua. My friends, God will keep his promise to you. He will never leave you or forsake you. No matter the challenges you're facing right now today, no matter what the future holds, 
Trust the Lord. Put your confidence in him and embrace the role that he has placed you in. For he will go with you. And so as fathers, claim these promises for yourself today. Be intentional about giving spiritual direction to your children. Don't leave it to chance. Call them to consider their choices. Then call them to make the right choice. And finally, let the final bottom line be, look at my example. Consider the outcome of my life and how I have served the Lord. I will continue to serve him to the end, and I pray and hope that you will as well. And then leave it in the Lord's hands. Because everyone is responsible for their own choice. But we as fathers have such an important part in setting an example that by the grace of God they make the right choice. And that they come to the position that they too will say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for your incredible design that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us as Father. You could have revealed yourself to us in so many different ways, and yet, time and again, you have said, I am a father to you, and you are my children, whom I love. Thank you, Lord, that in you, our perfect Father, we have the perfect example of what perfect love, perfect grace, perfect discipline looks like. Thank you that you have given us so many examples to follow through your word and through scripture. Thank you for Joshua's example. Thank you for his instruction to his children. Thank you for his challenge, for we feel it here today as well. And so, Lord, I pray your special blessing on each father, each dad present here today. Lord, we all face challenges, whether with our kids, whether in our marriages, whether in in work or career, or so many different areas, Lord, that we feel this, this tension, whether it's in how we use our time and our energy, how we feel motivated or lack of motivation. Father, in all of these areas, you know what we need. You know our weaknesses, and you are there to give us strength for the day, provision for tomorrow, and grace along the way for where we fall short. And so, Lord, I pray that each father this morning would leave here strengthened to know that you go with them as you went with Joshua. That just as Joshua was the spiritual leader of the home, you will bless and equip and guide each father present here today to continue to do that important role in their families. And we pray, Lord, that the outcome will be that our children, our grandchildren, and future generations to come will consider our examples, consider our lives and their outcome, and say, I don't want to follow great-grandpa Tara's gods anymore. I will follow the God of Abraham. The God who keeps his word, the God who is faithful, for he alone is worthy of my life. And so we pray, Lord, your blessing on our families, our children, and to future generations yet unborn. In Jesus' name, amen.